guys, welcome back to Fat Man Talking Podcast. I'm here with Pat Divoli. Pat, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to chat. Thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. It's funny because it's actually, I'd say, when I started the podcast well over a year ago, I wrote down a list of guests and you were one of the main people on it. I think I wrote down like 10 names. So it's a bit surreal for me. I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> we're going well. We're hitting the big time now. Happy days. Deadly. Um, so look, man, I suppose uh, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on was because I feel like you're, you're quite an inspirational person. I mean, it would have been a few years ago I would have come across you because of your TED Talk. Mm. Um, so it would have been the case I was scrolling through YouTube and I'd never watched a TED Talk in my life. I was actually watching like a Joe Rogan podcast or something like that. And you just happened to be the autoplay. I said, geez, this fellow's Irish. So I was like, John, I'll give him a listen. And I actually found it like really impactful. And at the time I was kind of a bit lost in life. So I, I feel like it was, it was the right time I needed to listen to it. So, I mean, after that, I kind of followed you the whole way up. But for anyone maybe who wouldn't be too familiar with you, would you be able to give me like a quick 30 second bio of your life, career, <laughs> everything you do? You know, no pressure. Yeah, yeah I'll do my best. Um, yeah, initially I was in fitness. So the TEDx talk kind of rounded out a chapter of my life, I suppose, where I, I built a big fitness business. Um, so my background was always wanting to do fitness, always wanted to be a personal trainer. Um, I started two businesses, so I had one in England and one in Dublin that just didn't take off. Yeah. And in, retros- in retrospect, I just wasn't putting in enough work and I didn't recognize kind of it takes time to grow things. And I, I was entitled, to be honest, when I look back, it was a young guy that thought you just became successful overnight. Um, and after failing with the second business and moving back home to Galway, I just felt like a massive failure. Uh, I was a young guy with ego and it, it knocked my confidence. And I, I, I went to a very dark place for probably six, seven months and then said I'd give fitness one last go. And I started this local fitness class on my local beach and um, something clicked where, you know, the community aspect that I brought to it and the kind of belief that I put in people um, became a, a culture. And we had 500 clients within a year. So we started with five to 500, opened a gym, brought out a book, and I suppose in the space of five years, went on to have 20,000 clients online, uh, three best-selling books, and I suppose a lot happened, and that was, that was the fitness journey, and then that's kind of a big part of my message there was always telling people, you know, find the things you're passionate about in life and make sure you're doing those things, and it got to the point where I just wasn't enjoying the fitness stuff as much as I had done, and I felt like a bit of a hypocrite, and so three, four years ago, I transitioned more into coaching and speaking, and that's primarily what I do now. Okay, she's fantastic. I suppose, um, would you ever, like, with a situation like that, where, say, for me, I would have come across you when you were already, I suppose, would have had quite a following, and I'm, I imagine it's the same with a lot of people. But, like, would you ever get the kind of feeling like people think you kind of had an overnight success, they don't realize the kind of the months or years of turmoil and hard work that kind of went there to get you to the point you were at then? Yeah, I suppose it's the same with anyone that you look at. You've kind of got no context as to their story, um, only you know how hard you've worked for things or, or, or the opposite. If you haven't worked for things, you're the one who kind of knows that too. Yeah. Um, for me, I suppose those couple of years of growing the fitness business, one thing I read at some point was that, you know, to, to market yourself effectively, you've got to be everywhere. And I took that very literally and, and I was writing articles every day. I was doing YouTube videos. I was doing podcasts. I did a hundred free talks in a year to get comfortable with public speaking um, I ended up doing a TV slot in Cork once a week with RT today. I was doing so many different things. Um, I was really working and uh, I don't think anyone could have, uh, I don't think anyone would have realized how much work I was putting in behind the scenes. Um, yeah. But that, that's always the case. And 
I would never, it would never bother me if someone thought it was an overnight success. It doesn't really make any odds to me what other people would think, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Um, and I suppose, like, as you kind of said there, you've kind of, you, you literally put in, like, a lot of public speaking efforts in terms to get used to it. But say, if you take me back to, say, your school days, would you have been a confident guy who would have, like, got up and spoken in front of the class? Or I suppose one of the, the moments of dread I used to always have in school was you're sitting down and you're reading the novel for the junior cert or whatever it is, and you're, you're going through and the teacher's going around the class and you're going to read this page. And I'd work, I'd, I'd be going ahead 10 15 pages trying to figure out what page I'd be reading and instead of paying attention I'd sit there and I'd read through it over and over and over again until I could make sure I'd read it right when I got out loud and then when it came to the point where it came to me I'd still mess it up and I'd still and like I was just the worst public speaker so like back in those days what way were you were you kind of a confident guy who could speak out or is it the case of something you had to build (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't go to school or I didn't go to college on days where there was a presentation to be done. If there was ever a presentation to be done, I, I was very fearful of, of, being, of standing out in public and, and uh, public speaking was the scariest thing in the world to me. And kind of, um, I think for a long time I thought if you're successful in certain areas, it, it builds your confidence. But in some ways, it also kind of shines light on your insecurities. And I found... You know, I built a big social media following a couple of years back and people probably thought this guy's going to be confident because he's got 50,000 or 100,000 or whatever it was at the time on Facebook. And the reality was in my head, I was thinking, geez, people think I will be confident now and it made me even more insecure. Um, but I, I did a public speaking, uh, a 10 minute slot, probably five years ago. And my palms were sweaty and my voice was shaking and everything else. And um, the only reason I did it was because I didn't want to go back to being broke and I didn't want to go back back to being um, irrelevant and all these things. So my kind of pain from the past drove me to to lean into my fear. Yeah. And then I just said, look, I'm going to get better at this. It's like anything else. It's practice. And, um, you know, I've had pr- plenty of train wrecks for presentations, but um, I learned from every one of them. And I kind of, um, yeah, it's the furthest thing from, from what came natural to me. But I think I learned through growing a business that, the secret to getting good at anything is just showing up consistently and uh, getting a little bit better each time. So definitely not a natural. Um, but the more I do it, obviously, the more I kind of feel like, you know, this is just like anything else. Yeah, no, I, I kind of feel the same myself. I, I never was good at it. And it kind of it came to a head when I was in college and we had to basically give a, a I think it was a five-minute presentation on ourselves in front of the whole year. And my year was about 120 people in UCC. I remember I got up there and I got so nervous. I basically told the whole year, the head of the course, all my lecturers that I hated the course. I didn't like it. The three years of hell. And I remember standing up there and everyone was like, what are you doing, man? And I was like, I just got so nervous. I was just honest. Was like, I, I didn't really like my course. I was just doing it because it get me a good job. And I remember coming out of it and I was like, I need to get this in check. And that was probably the time, like that was easily, I'd say, three, four years ago at this stage. And then it took me still another two years before I decided to start the podcast for real. I just kind of hummed and hawed over it for that long. But I, I think it's, it's to the point where I knew I needed a, I needed to keep public speaking or just even talking to groups of people, be it in meetings and work and stuff, to actually like build my way up. And now I suppose the podcast is a good platform to at least uh, get used to talking to people. It, it's, yeah. I, 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 was, I was telling a friend the other day, he mentioned... Uh, I just asked him what he's doing for the weekend and he said, oh, I'm going to do this nutrition course. He's into, um, we, we do jujitsu together. And so he's into MMA and he wants to learn how to help fighters cut weight. Yeah. He's doing this, doing this course. And I kind of said to him, fair play, you know, the difference between you 
who you are now and who you'll be by the end of 2020 is, is you showing up for these courses because it's easy to show up. It's also easy not to show up. You have to get yeah. a child minder. He had to organize himself. And it's the same thing with what you're saying. You could spend the next two years thinking about becoming a speaker or you just take out the laptop and you start like, I would encourage people to take out your phone, put it on selfie mode, record a video every day for 30 days and don't feel the need to show it to anyone. But the difference between who we are and who we're going to be is just what we do in the day. And thinking about doing things is no good. You've got to actually show up and do them. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the key. And I, I think it's funny because I think people get embarrassed in terms of working on themselves. They think, no, no, I shouldn't. It's kind of the Irish mentality. Like, no, I shouldn't be doing that. That's stupid. I should just go and be the same as everyone else. And I think it, it's kind of down to the fact of if there's something you want and you, even if no one knows you're working towards it, but you are, it'll make a hundred times the difference compared to if you just sit there and go, you know, I'm just going to be the same. I'm going to sit at my desk and do the same thing every day for the rest of my life. I think it's yeah, uh, we, we, we care too much what people think, you know, it's the biggest fear and the biggest insecurity is what will people think of us. And as I get a bit older, I'm like, I laugh because I follow some young guys that I train with in jujitsu and they'll put up a post saying, you know, this is for all the haters or whatever. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, nobody cares about you enough to be a hater. And it's the same for us all. Like we think, we think we've got haters. We think we've got this, that and the other. People are too concerned with their own stuff and with, with, with you know, what they've got going on. I don't think any of us have haters, really. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I think you'd have to be a pretty, like, I don't know. It, it takes, like, one in, I'd say, nearly a thousand people to actually be someone who goes through social media and finds that person who they're going to insult who they don't even know. But, like, yeah. I, th I think it is the big fear because you live, like, so much, like, even, like, without being a really, like, I suppose, an influencer or anything like that, you live so much of your life in the public eye where you, I think people kind of feel the pressure to even post on social media about everything they're doing, even if they don't want to, because that's what their mates do and that's what kind of, it's just the norm. Like, I remember when I started the podcast and I, I was thinking, all right, I, I'd say I hadn't talked to 90% of my friends from school or anything like that in a few years. You know, you drift apart from people in terms of college and work and everything else. I remember yeah. thinking, oh, I'm going to get heaps of abuse now. I said, everyone's going to be on to me now, just being like, what the hell are you doing? And I, it was after a month and I was kind of sitting there in silence and all I got was positive messages. And I was saying, God, I, re I really have a negative view of the world, I think. And still to this day, like I've never had anyone get on to me and be like, oh, what you're doing is shite. So I suppose, thank God for that. But at the same time, I think you can nearly talk yourself out of anything if you think about it that much. Like, Yeah, when, it, when it's ourselves, we tend to take things very personally. But I would kind of look at it and say, there's plenty of social media accounts I would see. And I'd maybe throw the eyes up to heaven or I, I wouldn't agree with what's been done. But I don't think anything personally negative about the person. I just kind of, I'm just like, oh, it's a bit daft. You know, it's the same when, when people think we're a bit daft or, or what are, who do they think they are or whatever else. They don't hate us. They just, just a reflection of their, their outlook on life, I think. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a projection kind of thing. Uh, but I mean, like obviously yourself, you do live a lot of your life on social media. You do have your own podcast. And I imagine being like the owner of your own business and relying on being able to give talks and like all those kind of avenues. Social media must be fantastic for that. But like, how, how did you find getting into it at the start? Was it something you kind of hesitated with or is it something you just were able to throw yourself into after, I don't know, say a few months of kind of, as you said, recording yourself talking or doing that sort of thing? Yeah, it's funny you talk about, you know, the, the, the work behind the scenes that people don't see. And uh, back when I was 12, I built my first website. Um, oh, no I way. Into, I was into professional wrestling. So I remember getting on my dad's Aircom account and building this website. It's still up there. And um, so I always had a bit of a knack, I suppose, for computers and stuff like that. And so social media came natural to me to a certain degree. And 
I think I'm a natural marketer. Um, and I was studying a lot of guys in the States and the UK that were good marketeers. And the big thing I learned was you, you're trying to talk to the person who's a potential client. You're not trying to talk to everyone. And yeah. So when I started, started doing Facebook back in 2012, um, I was the first guy definitely in Galway, one of the first guys probably in Ireland that was sharing a lot of before and after pictures, that was doing online training courses. Um, and so I was first to market in a lot of ways, which helped me. Um, and yeah, I think I was, I was a, you know, I, I just recognized the value of social media. I had thousands of clients um, online before I even had a website. And um, yeah, I picked up some steam. I got to go out to California to Facebook HQ to tell my story out there and met the COO, Cheryl Sandberg. And um, I'm not as good at social media as I used to be. I don't really care for it as much. I, I, I put up content, but I don't really put up much personal content, I, I suppose. I do a little bit of, you know, I'm training here, I'm traveling here, but I used to put my whole life up there. And uh, that's just not where I'm at anymore. It's, it doesn't really... You know, I'm happy to share who I am and what I do, but I don't feel the need to overshare anymore, which I think I probably did for a while. Um, but look, it's, it's, it's a great tool. And, and, you know, I think as a business person, you need to think, who is my potential client? Where are they spending time? And I knew for me, when I was in fitness, it was mostly women, um, 25 to 50, that wanted to lose a little bit of weight and build confidence. And where are they spending time? At that time, it was Facebook. Now it's probably Instagram. Um, and now I work with a lot of corporate clients, so I'm spending time on LinkedIn. But it's just kind of the idea of go fishing where the fish are, and uh, that's how I see social media. Yeah, very good. To be honest, like I, I'm pretty sure I have you on most social medias, so I tend to see your posts. I'd say four or five like different times a day across all of them. But yeah. uh, I, I suppose it's handy for me to be able to catch up with what's going on. Um, now I suppose these days we all kind of tend to be immersed in it in terms of just even having that many accounts. And even if you only checked one for two minutes every day, you know, you're taking up a chunk of your day just on social media. But how do you actually like in your own day to day life switch off? I mean, would you be like a practicer of meditation or even just taking time away from the phone for a few hours a day? Like how would you have any kind of structure in place to make sure that you're also present in your own life? Yeah, I, uh, I schedule my social media stuff a month or two in advance now. So most, most of my stuff is, uh, I just, I just sit down for a couple of hours once a month and I, I schedule 30 days that it goes up on all platforms and I don't have to overthink it. I don't have to feel massively inspired every day. I can, I can just, uh, I can be a bit strategic with that. Um, and that's yeah. just so I'm not, you know, I read somewhere that people spend 27 minutes on average coming up with a, a social media post. It's a lot of time. Um, I don't consume a lot of other accounts i'm not very good at liking other people's stuff because i just tend to live in my own bubble which is probably a bit unfair but it is what it is um i meditate every day that's that's my thing and i do my jujitsu those are the two things that really bring me presence in life and and uh yeah i just try to be conscious of the phone have to, you know I, I definitely need to work on it more but uh you know i, I definitely take on too much information but it's i think it's a big thing for for our generation and and for anyone living today is there's so much noise coming in from accounts and from podcast from everything you know that you can sometimes lose your own voice so i think creating that space through meditation or journaling or time in nature or just doing a sport that you enjoy or playing music um i think it has to be prioritized every day just for general happiness yeah no absolutely i agree um, and you, you said you do jujitsu. I, I think jujitsu, especially since the coming of Conor McGregor and MMA to Ireland has become such a big thing. It's mm. definitely a bit more mainstream, but like how long have you been doing it yourself? Is it something that you were at kind of before it, it suddenly blew up or is it the case you kind of just found it recently? 
well, funnily, it, it was a big thing in my teens. Um, so I mentioned the professional wrestling website when I was 12. I was obsessed with wrestling. And yeah. uh, I contacted a wrestling school in England. I said, I want to train, but I have to finish school first. What should I do? And they said, start lifting weights and do judo so you learn how to fall without hurting yourself. And uh, the next day, I started lifting weights. And that's what got me into fitness. And I started doing judo. And that got me into martial arts. I actually went out to San Diego when I was 18 for six months training in MMA and uh, Jiu-Jitsu. And then when I became an adult, quote unquote, I kind of gave it all up. And I went back to it three years ago. So I found myself at 28. I had had a lot of, I suppose, external success that I didn't expect in terms of like buying my own house and like having a big following and writing these books and everything else. But I felt a little bit uh, empty. I, I didn't feel, I just wasn't very inspired. I was in a bit of a slump. and decided I had to prioritize something every day that I enjoyed and always had in the back of my mind going back to martial arts. So probably two and a half, three years ago, I went back to jujitsu and it's been the biggest positive thing I've done for myself in a long time. And like for anyone, I suppose, who wouldn't be familiar with it, like what, what benefits would you find from it? Is it just the case that it's a good workout, it's, it's a good way to keep fit or is it like the community aspect of it all? Because I mean, I know people who train it like in different parts of the world, like guys who would have trained it in Hong Kong or New York or even just in Cork. And like what they've always found is in each gym, there just seems to always be a good community and a good group of people, no matter where they've been. So I think it's yeah. like as a sport, it just seems to be something that's quite welcoming to people, I suppose, especially because it's not that mainstream in terms of, I don't like when I, when I think back to when I was younger, it would have been hurling football, rugby, soccer, that's kind of it. Like that's what you do. If you heard a fella doing anything, maybe karate, taekwondo, but yeah. jiu-jitsu, it, it just never would have come into the frame, I think. So now these days that people have that kind of community aspect from it, it's great, really. Yeah, I was, at a, I was at a competition this past Sunday in Dublin, and I bump into so many people that would know me from the fitness space that say, hey, I, I own my own gym or I, I'm a personal trainer. And I see a lot of guys that have been in fitness for years that are transitioning to jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And I think, I think part of it at least is, when we're a bit younger, we go to the gym to be fit and to be strong and to look a certain way. And it's a lot of young ego. You know, you, you want to have this confidence in yourself because you're big or you're strong or whatever it is. I think when you get a bit older, your, your reason for training becomes a bit different. So for me, I found that time when I lost the interest in the fitness business and I, I lost interest in training myself, I needed to look at, you know, what do I want to get from my training? Because it's not about being big and strong anymore. I want to be healthy. I want to be present. I want to meet people because I had closed my own gym and I didn't have a, a social circle as such anymore. And I travel a lot. So I want something I can do on the move. And jiu-jitsu kind of ticked all those boxes. So it's definitely something that makes me present. I don't think about the future or the past when I'm doing it. Uh, physically, it's a good challenge. And, you know, you're moving in different ways. It's not just kind of repetitive, you know, uh, patterns that we would do in the gym. You meet incredible people. You get to be competitive to some degree. Uh, if you travel, you get to do it. It just takes all the boxes for me that I want at this time in my life. Um, Jiu-jitsu and mountaineering, those were two things I took up a couple of years ago. And the mountaineering was the same thing. It was being with other people, having time in nature, uh, getting to be present. So I think, you know, anyone who struggles with finding a consistent training regime, maybe look at why what you're doing is not working. And for me, the reason the gym wasn't working anymore was because I'd spent my whole life in gyms and I was just bored of it and it wasn't challenging and it wasn't exciting. And um, I had to look for, what do I need? And I needed community, I needed challenge, I needed competitiveness and uh, I needed something different. So I think there's a lesson in there. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I, I actually find like myself now I'm kind of struggling to figure out where I want to go but like in terms of like jujitsu I think the fear something like that is the fitness level like as in do you know say at a base at a base level for jujitsu like do you need a certain level of flexibility and fitness going into it or is it like can you actually just start from a basic level and kind of build up like, oh you can start from anywhere I mean the 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 Probably actually one of the biggest lessons I've taken from it is just the whole, um, the whole letting go of the ego in the sense of you could train for three years, like I've trained for three years at this point, and you might have an athletic rugby player that comes in tomorrow having never trained before, and they'll give you a hard time, and you're thinking, geez, I'm killing myself here. Am I not getting any better? So you can never compare yourself to other people. And with that being said, you know, your first day that you show up for class is huge, regardless of like whether you're flexible or you're mobile or you're fit or you're unfit, you've kind of, you've done something you've never done before. And that's all it is, you know, and keep doing that consistently. Uh, if you compare yourself to other people in jiu-jitsu, you're going to have a hard time because you've, again, it's kind of like the whole, um, it's kind of like the whole hard work behind the scenes idea again, that like I'll go to a gym, we'll say in New York and I'll train with someone who's a blue belt. So I'm a blue belt, they're a blue belt. We should be at a similar level. And they'll give me a really hard time and I'll go home feeling bad about myself. And then the next day I'll log on to social media and I'll see that person has gotten promoted to purple belt. And there'll be a post up saying this person has been a blue belt for four years and they've competed all over the world. Now I didn't know any of that. So I compared yeah. myself to someone without knowing their background. Um, so it teaches you just to like only compete with yourself. So I would say you don't need any level of fitness to start. Um, all that comes and, and kind of like what we we're saying with the public speaking, the sooner you start, the sooner you start growing and learning. The longer you think about it, I think the more scared you become or the more intimidated you become by it. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it's kind of like the vibe I'm getting from you a lot is that you, you tend to live your life kind of in your own lane. You're not, you're not too concerned with the people around you. Um, and obviously, like yourself, your, your career, I mean, if, if you were to look back and say, like, when you were a kid, what you wanted to be, I can't imagine being an inspirational public speaker or a life coach would have been the career path you would have said back then would it? it probably would have been fitness or sport or something along those lines yeah it was funny um someone asked recently you know are you doing what you thought you'd always be doing and i said in one breath it's the furthest thing from what i thought because i was the guy who was scared of public speaking and i saw no possibility of being able to do this stuff in ireland i didn't think ireland would be open to it but i said in another breath i started watching motivational speakers when i was 12 or 13 and i always thought that would be cool um, so there's kind of both sides. I always knew fitness. I wanted my own gym. That was all I ever wanted to do. So um, I did that. But then I think you have to recognize and be honest with yourself sometimes that the dream that you had often changes. And, and sometimes people will say, you know, I should be grateful for where I am. And, and this is what I always wanted to do. So I'm just going to keep doing it. But we change and we grow. And uh, it's the same with the relationship, same with the job, same with everything. Just because you're doing something that's amazing for you now doesn't mean you can't change your mind in a year. And you'll see, you know, a, a, an example of that will be maybe someone that goes to college and the course that they're doing is not what they expected, but they're a year in and there's five years to go. So they say, I want to keep going for another five years because I can't back out now. And uh, you could spend your whole life doing that, being afraid to change direction. But, you know, if you live in your own lane, you're not competing with anyone else. It's OK to change direction all the time. Yeah. Um, I, th I think definitely uh, that that's a major team in my life. I mean, I think I found my, my point where I found a career in the field I was in that I liked, but it took a very, very long time. And I think it was like years and years of just being like, oh, I hate this job. I need to find a new job. And eventually I settled into a space where I was kind of comfortable and happy and actually something that interested me. 
But uh, I think a lot of people struggle with that in terms of they feel like they're tied to their job and maybe their families would have a lot to do with that in terms of, oh, I can't disappoint my parents or I can't disappoint those who would have put me through college. And, you know, people kind of feel the pressure. With, with your family, was it ever the case that they were saying, like, Pat, what are you doing with this public speaking, Lark? Like, you need to get a good job with a good pension and, you know, you need structure. Were you ever kind of told, you know, you need to be in a nine to five or were your family always kind of like, you know, just, just do your thing and see how it goes? Oh, I was always told to get a, a get a traditional job. And I mean, they, my, my family recognized I wasn't particularly academic. I didn't particularly take to the books, but they, they were encouraging me to do something. They felt personal training was too sporadic and too uh, unreliable. And so they would say, maybe try to do physiotherapy if you can get into that, because it's similar. You get to work with people, but it's more of a career um, and it'll open doors for you. So they would push me to do something that was in the area that I liked, but was more secure. And, um, you know, despite opening the gym and having books and, and doing all this stuff, they, they always had fear that, you know, it was going to fall apart in the morning and I, I'd been in an even lower place than I had been. And um, they, they, it took a long time for them to kind of say, when are you getting a real job? Um, but now I think they're, they're fairly, you know, uh, they're supportive. I mean, they just want me to be happy ultimately. And they've seen me at my worst. So they're happy that I'm doing well. And um Funnily, my dad's an accountant and I work with most of the accountancy firms in Dublin now doing leadership training. So I think he's finally thinking it's, it's, it's paying off to some degree. So, uh, yeah, it was never the path that they would have liked to have seen me do, I think. But yeah. it's worked out. So, you kind of again, you have to have faith in yourself. And that was more the struggle people wouldn't have seen, I suppose, when everyone around you was saying this is not going to work. And the closest people in your life are saying this is not going to work. Um, can you keep going? And to your point of like people struggle to, to make a change because the support of their family or the, the, the family put them through college, whatever it might be. I think sometimes we think we have to jump overnight and like quit our job or quit our college course. We have to make massive change. I think you can just make subtle changes in the background. So, you know, when I was doing my arts degree, initially I did an arts degree in geography and economics because I, I had no clue what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I, I committed to finishing that, but I, on the side, I became a personal trainer. Um, so that was something I was doing in addition. So you can often do something in addition. You don't have to change direction completely. Um, that can be overwhelming and scary, but what's the one thing you can do? Like you with the podcast, you know, you can do a, an hour a week on the podcast. It's not a massive jump, but it's, it's building your skill set. It's building your audience. It's doing a lot in the background and that makes a difference over time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think that's kind of a good outlook to have on it because, I think a lot of the times people think, the, like, I think it's the same if you're looking at someone who's, say, on one day they're feeling horrible about themselves, they feel unfit, and they feel like they're in a bad place in life. They feel like the next day everything needs to change, and they feel like everything has to just switch off overnight, and suddenly you're a new person. Instead of just saying, you know what, tomorrow I, I might not have the McDonald's, I'll have a salad, or tomorrow I might go for a run instead of sitting on the couch and watching Netflix. And it's like small, subtle changes in your life can build a much stronger wall versus, you know, just thinking, all right, I need to start fresh tomorrow and put the ladder against a new wall and we'll go for it. Yeah. Progress is progress. And, and, uh, you know, every day you take a step forward, whatever direction that is, that's a positive day. And, um, you know, everything in nature either grows or it dies. So like, that's the, that's the reality of anything from plants to animals to humans. We're either growing or we're dying and growth is simply being a little bit better, a little bit uh, wiser, a little bit more content, a little bit more of whatever is most important to you each day um, without needing things to be perfect. I think if you can let go of the illusion of perfect, 
and you can just focus on the progress idea in anything, it can make a massive impact. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, now, one thing that kind of intrigues me there, you, you said a few minutes ago, was that you, you tend to do a lot of the corporate gigs now in terms of speaking to big accountancy firms and stuff like that. And I've worked in companies where people like yourself have been brought in. But I mean, what's the structure? Like, how do you, I suppose, if you're, if you're going into a gig like this and say it's with one of the top accountancy firms in Dublin and you have a bunch of accountants who are saying, look, you have to sit in this room for an hour with this guy who's a life coach. Like, do you tailor your stuff to a business setting or is it the case you just go in and I suppose tell your story and hope it kind of the message gets through? Like, how is that structured compared to say if you just have a, a course of just regular people who've bought tickets and signed up and they want to see you versus obviously you're in front of a room of people who maybe have no interest in improving their lives or no interest in your content? You know, how, how does that kind of differ compared to a normal speaking engagement, I suppose? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a transition for sure because I do both. I do my own events and people are coming in kind of excited or, you know, they know what they're coming for, uh, which is great. And then the corporate stuff can be challenging because, like you say, there might be 100 people in the room. Half the room might not want to be there or more. You know, um, people have preconceived notions about what life coaching is or what, uh, what a speaker, a motivational speaker is going to talk about. So I try to set the frame pretty early on that I'm not here to tell anyone how to live their life. I'm just going to share some ideas that have supported me and supported my clients. I'll say I'm from a fitness background and the big thing that I learned over time in fitness is the, the, if you think about fitness as a, a, a pyramid, um, you know, things like nutrition and training and sleep are all important, but the most important aspect of the pyramid is like happiness along the bottom. Like, am I able to handle stress and be content in my day to day life? That's the most important thing. And I'll say I learned that from working with a lot of clients and I'm just going to share some ideas today that could potentially help you. And I'll say, uh, you know, I'll try to make it fun. I'll try to have a bit of crack with it. And if you take one thing from the day, I'm delighted. And, and that's how I frame it. I think how you frame things is important. Um, I have no interest in coming in and telling people twice my age or people my age or anyone how they should live. Or uh, I, I sort of say, I'm just sharing things I'm working on or I have worked on. I won't talk about anything I haven't experienced. I won't talk about anything I haven't lived. I won't talk about anything I don't put into practice myself. Um, and I tell a lot of stories, um, not so much my, my background story, but just stories of how this stuff has shown up in life. So if I'm talking about communication, I'll share stories from my, my, my communication with my friends and family. If I'm talking about fear, I'll talk about the public speaking. And so it grounds it in a way that people are like, this guy is not just regurgitating a book. He's living this stuff, and I think people appreciate that. Awesome. Very good. I, I, I just think, I don't know, with those types of engagements, I feel like sometimes if you go in too focused on trying to tailor it to their setting, it can, it can nearly not land. Versus I, I like how you just tend to tell your story, and whoever it lands with, it lands with. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with me in terms of I never would have had an interest in, say, ever like thinking, oh, I needed a life coach, or ever thinking – like I suppose someone in the fitness space would inspire me to do something in terms of a career in IT. You know, it, it just, it seemed too foreign to me. It was when I, I, I just literally heard you, I think it was a seven minute or 10 minute TED talk. And I was saying, God, that's really, that, that hits home completely. And then the part that really shocked me was, it was actually, I'd say it was about a month after I'd heard that TED talk. And since then I started con consuming loads and loads of content. But my dad, who'd be a bit old fashioned and not that into the internet, randomly came home and he's retired and he just kind of does his own thing. He'd be, I suppose, he'd never be a straightforward fish. And he came to me, he said, Shane, I was on the YouTube. And I was like, oh, great, Dad. Yeah, how's that going? 
And uh, he said, this is brilliant fella from Galway. I heard him. It's brilliant. You're going to love it. You, you hate college. You need to listen to this. And I was like, all right, yeah. And then he showed me. And I was like, oh, I actually watched this about a month ago. And he was like, it's fantastic. I'm telling you, this fella knows where it's at. And I remember just thinking, like, if something just as small as that can land with me, who's a guy in college and probably trying to find his own way, and then it lands with a retired firefighter who, to be honest, has no interest in YouTube or TED Talks or anything. I think it just shows, you know, if someone's putting out the right message, it makes much more of a difference than, I suppose, anything else. You know, it, it, it's all about the time in your life of how it's going to hit with you. And, like, that's what I kind of find with podcasts. You know, like, I, I'm subscribed to, say, your podcast and probably 100 other podcasts. And, like, to be honest, I never consume the same podcasts every week, nor do I follow everyone's podcasts, like, every single episode. But it's always... A message might, you know, like I might be listening to something by say, like I don't know, I I think you know, you know, Brian Keane, and I could be yeah, listening yeah. to one of his podcasts from say two years ago, and that's when it land with me. But when I listened to it two years ago, I was like, that's a load of bollocks. I couldn't really give a toss. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think what I like now about the world we live in is that you can kind of, you can nearly tailor what you're listening to to the point where you need it. You can nearly just search like, all right, I'm having trouble with this. Let's go see what we can find. And suddenly, your your I suppose your outlook completely changes. And it's just the modern world. It, it, it's definitely one of my favorite parts. It kind of, it grounds me a little where I know at least if I need to rely on other people, it's not always going to be that day. But, you know, at any point, you can kind of get into their stuff and figure your stuff out. Yeah, we're, we're, we're blessed with, with all the information. I think the key is just like application of, of an idea. You know, so if we listen to a podcast, what's the one thing I can do based on that podcast rather than just taking on lots of noise? Like, what's the one change? So if I listen to a podcast with a sleep expert, I'll be like, okay, it's not, these are nice ideas, but what am I actually going to do? And it might be just one small change. And I think that's really the difference maker, you know, because um, I sort of say that if we just take on ideas, we're only philosophers, really. We're not, you know, practitioners. Um, and kind of applied knowledge is power, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and do you know the way you, you said like earlier, you weren't someone who'd be mad into school or you weren't someone who really like school landed with, but like mm. now you seem like quite an educated guy, a guy who seems to constantly be improving himself or at least trying to move in that direction. Like where did it shift? Was it just the fact that the subject matter didn't land with you or is it just the case, the point in your life, you're, you're just in a different place where you're open to bringing in like learning and kind of, I suppose, educating yourself in different fashion. You know, like it, it just, I, I always find it kind of funny because there's a lot of guys I would have gone to school with who hated school and it, it was just down to the subject matter. But when they found their niche outside of school, they're some of the smartest, most well-educated people I've ever met. And it's yeah. like, I, I would have written that fella off when we were in juniors or said, he's going nowhere, he's doing nothing. And it just would have been negative mindset. But then when it comes down to it and I meet him now and we're, we're in our mid twenties and I'm saying, Jesus, man, you're doing great. Like you, you found your thing. And I, I just, I'm always so happy for them. Like for you, how did you kind of move into that space in your life where you were happy enough to take in the education where maybe before it just wasn't something you'd ever really want to do? I think it was, the, yeah, that thing of, of subject matter was important. Um, I, I would have done well in languages and music in school. Um, but outside of that, I didn't really have much interest. I suppose PE, obviously, as well. But um, So there was the subject matter piece. When I got into fitness and I got into um, nutrition and stuff I just I had been studying it for years anyway just passively in the background and I thought wow you can actually you know it just seems so different to be studying something you're interested in and then on the personal development side of things I think just the application of certain tools I would have struggled with anxiety since I've been a teenager and 
learning tools that help me to cope with that, it just seems invaluable. And you're like, I want to go down this rabbit hole further. And, uh, you know, you're just thinking, wow, I wish I, I wish someone had taught me this stuff years ago. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's a combination of doing things you enjoy and then seeing real world results from things that you're, you're putting into practice. Yeah. And I mean, for you in terms of say planning and obviously you have your career where it's at now, but like, is there anywhere you'd like, do you have any changes you'd like to make down the line? Is there anywhere you see yourself in a different space, say five, 10 years time? Do you ever plan that far ahead or do you just kind of take it year by year? Um, <laughs> I was in, uh, I was in Amsterdam a few weeks ago at a, another jujitsu competition and I met a friend and she said, what's your big goal? She's like, we're at a, a we're at dinner with a bunch of people that had just done NLP training. So they were all inspired and everything else. And yeah. what's, your big, what's your big goal? And I was like, oh, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm enjoying life. If I can keep doing She's like, no, you have to have a big goal. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, don't really have one. And she, she just wouldn't drop it, you know? So eventually I just fed her an answer. I was like, yeah, I want to fill the three arena for a, for a talk, which was like, I have no interest in doing that. <laughs> I don't care about that. I just wanted it. She's like, oh, that's so inspiring. And I was like, genuinely, if I can keep doing what I'm doing, um, you know, keep speaking seven, eight gigs a month, keep doing my jujitsu every day, um, keep taking time for people that matter to me, keep doing a bit of travel. If I can keep doing that and getting a little bit better in each of those areas, that's literally my plan. Um, and I think as a result of that, I think if you pick the, the activities and you commit to getting better at them, then the goals just kind of happen. So like I was out in Qatar in the Middle East doing a, a keynote presentation last month and that's something I never would have written down as a goal. But by doing three, 400 talks over the last couple of years and trying to get a little bit better, it just came. So I think if you can almost, it's kind of counterintuitive, but sometimes we're obsessed by the goal, but we don't do the things that are required to get the goal. I think if you can get obsessed by the process. So for me, that's show up and train jujitsu every day, sit down and write some content every day. And if I just keep doing that, I think that that's how I plan my life. Um, so yeah, I'd have little goals. I want to, you know, travel a lot. I want to train a lot. I want to get my black belt in jujitsu. I want to, you know, uh, continue to be a well-paid speaker and, and just have a nice balance and lifestyle in my life is the main thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think it's, I don't know, it's a funny one because I, I feel like I always set myself big goals, but then I'll also kind of, I'll set a path out of how I'm going to get there. But then like sometimes when they, when I fall flat in my face, or if it doesn't work, I'm like, oh, you should you should have just taken it a bit slower, I think. And I, I, I like your attitude there where you're just saying, look, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I suppose, you know, daily what you need to do to get where you want to go. And if things shift in a different direction, you seem kind of easy going enough where you'd let the river take you where it's going to take you. Versus I think other people get very focused on, I need to be here in five years. I need to have this done. I need to do these things. And people get very regimented about it. And like that works for some, but I, th I think for someone like me, it's, it's definitely, it's not the case where I, I can ever really follow a step-by-step -step plan. It'll just be, I'll kind of follow three steps and then I'll kind of wean off in another yeah. direction and go, I think I'm going to do this. And it's, uh, I don't know, the focus seems to always kind of drift off. There's, there's two things that could help people. One is that idea of, I don't know, if I was to fast forward five years and, and write down everything I want in my life at that point, I'd work backward and say, what does that person do every day? So if I want to be a black belt in jiu-jitsu and I want to be a world-renowned speaker and I want to travel all the time and have a nice lifestyle, what does that person do every day? They train jiu-jitsu every day. They get a little bit better at speaking every day, meditate every day. And then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do those things. So that's the first thing is like have your daily practice. The second thing, when you feel you're falling short on goals and it's affecting your confidence, is the idea of good, better, best. 
So good, better, and best. So I'd say, right, I'm doing a 12-week training plan. A good result in this would be to uh, get to all my training sessions. A better result would be to get to all my training sessions and follow up with the meal plan. The best result would be set new personal best in all the exercises and do my meal plan and do my workouts. So you're saying good, better, and best. And that way, you might not get it perfect. You might not hit exactly the target, but you're doing good. So it might be by the end of 2019, I'd like to put a thousand euro aside in my savings. That would be a good result. 2000 would be better. 3000 would be best. And you're just giving yourself that bit of a leeway that, you know, you don't have to get things perfect. You've got a, a bit of a, a buffer there. I think that could be beneficial. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good way to look at it. It's, uh, it's, I, I think I'm going to have to listen back to this podcast myself and be like, <laughs> all right, take notes. <laughs> this, I need to do this, and that's going to improve shit. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, at the moment, you're competing a lot in jiu-jitsu. Do you have any goals that way in terms of, like, is, like say, right up to now, have you had, like, I kind of see every, every few weeks you seem to be getting some kind of a medal here and there. Do you have any, like, competitions in mind particularly that you want to compete in, that you, you want to win, or is it just the case you're just, when you're in an area and the competition is coming up, you're able to kind of just apply and go for it? Like, how does that work? The, the competitions are a little bit like the public speaking was at the start. I don't particularly enjoy them. Um, I, I feel good after doing it, but I, I don't like the nerves and the pressure and the, um, I just go to a competition and I'm thinking, why didn't I just stay at home and chill out for the weekend? But uh, I always feel better after doing them. So um, the way the jiu-jitsu works is you have different belts. So you have your white belt, your blue belt, your purple belt, your brown belt, your black belt, five, five different belts. And you compete in accordance to your belts. So right now I'm a blue belt. My, my big goal, I suppose, at blue belt is to win double gold at a competition. So win gold in the gi, which is wearing the suit, and the no gi, which is wearing shorts and a rash guard. I want to win double gold in a competition. That's kind of the goal. Um, and yeah, just get maybe a bit more comfortable, maybe enjoy the process a bit more of, of, the, of the competition. There's some people I, I know that just love going competing, uh, whereas to me it's a bit of a chore but it's something I feel makes me better. So I do it for the sake of doing it, but I'd like to get a bit more comfortable. That's probably the biggest goal there. Yeah. And is jujitsu the only kind of training you do at the moment or is it, do you kind of vary in other bits with it as well? Yeah, it's, it's primarily what I do. I, I, I did a 12 week stint in the gym recently where I hired a personal trainer and just went to the gym three times a week um, for the accountability. I'm going to start doing that again soon, twice a week. Um, and I do a bit of mountaineering then, so I've climbed some big mountains the last couple of years. So I, I, I tend to spend probably two months a year in a tent, which is different. But um, yeah, primarily jiu-jitsu. That's quite cool. Awesome. Um, look, Pat, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really enjoyed the chat. I won't keep you too long because I know you're probably a pretty busy guy. Um, but just, um, I know you probably don't need it, but I always love to give someone the opportunity to, I suppose, plug any upcoming events or social media or anything else they have. So you have anything coming up that you want people to know about? Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, a few bits coming up. So I'm, in, I'm on tour in August and September, two different mini tours. Um, I know I'm in Cork in August and I'm going to be in Limerick in September, a bunch of yeah. other cities. Um, and I'm doing a men's retreat in November. So a three-day men's retreat that has personal development, uh, breath work, cold immersion, jiu-jitsu, um, meditation, morning workouts group dinners loads of stuff um all that's on my website so patdivoli.com okay perfect sounds good pat thanks so much for coming on it's been great i really appreciate you uh taking the time to come on the podcast and look um for everyone 
go and follow Pat. His content is fantastic. It's definitely made a huge impact on my life. And I feel like if you've not encountered it before, it'll definitely be something that'll land with you. So look, thanks so much, guys.